and welcome to Truck Stop Murder and True Crime Pod, where I'm your host, Gary Howard, where I'll be taking you on a journey across the United States from truck stop to truck stop, talking about the truck stop itself and a murder that I might find around it. And this week, I'll be revisiting my last episode that I was at, that I did, because unfortunately, I had to delete that because that episode should have never been recorded. I had took too much medicine because I was fighting the flu, like a flu allergies, and then I, my brilliant self decided to have a couple of beers along with that, and it was nonsense. Put the wrong name on it. Everything was wrong. So here we go with take two of Alan Nicholson. On the last episode, I actually put Alex Skillhorn, which Skillhorn was part of it. It was just a mixture of both their names. And I was not aware of it until after my wife had pointed out, because I asked her, my wife Desra, asked her what she thought of it. She said she was super confused that I should redo it. And I was embarrassment to the family. Well, so here it is. Take two of Alan Nicholson. So like last time I was talk- I was at... Um, on January 14th, I was at tr- Drones Truck Stop in Lebanon, Missouri, which is right along I-44. It's right before you get to Springfield, so if you're headed on I-44, exit 127 is right back there. You have to go through a light past the Waffle House. And, I, I mean, the parking lot itself is not very good. It's old, just a dirt rot parking lot nothing nothing no lines no nothing but one of the reasons why i like going there because right next door there's a hotel that has a a bar if, if you listen to the first episode you probably know all this but i'm just regenerating all this just in case if something for new listeners and before i even start i, I got it way ahead of myself but if you can and if you do like this and you do listen please go to apple podcast and rate review and subscribe it will surely help a lot as of now i have zero nothing on there not even enough to for reviews no reviews no nothing but i need that because i need to build this up then make it worth doing i'm probably i'm still going to do it you know if my wife enjoys me doing it so but i want to expand it so if you would do that that would be mostly appreciated so back to what i was saying I was at the Jones Truck Stop, which, like I said, I like to go there because it has a little bar next in the hotel that's right next to it. It's off uh, exit 127, I-44, Lebanon, Missouri. The address is 2031 West Elm, Lebanon, Missouri. Which, like I said, it states it has 100 parking lot spots, but how can you uh, say that you have 100 parking spots where there's n- actually not no find parking spots of course overnight parking three showers which i'll get into the reviews about this place i don't know if i don't want to shower but i've been driving for a truck for about five years now and this place has been under construction and remodeling ever since and i do go through this place a lot so if you do find yourself there you know, like I said, the place is under review, so the restaurant in the place is closed. Not review, but remodeling. And the restaurant that's in the place is actually called Jones Restaurant Truck Stop, which is currently closed. 
and there's a Slim Chickens, which is not too. All these places, I'm gonna talk about restaurants that's within, say, a quarter mile of the place. I won't go too far because I don't think many truck drivers want to walk over there unless you want to disconnect from your trailer and do that. But there's Slim Chickens, Tequila, Jalisco, Jalisco. There's a Mexican restaurant, Mexican bar, seafood. You know, if you want some Waffle House. I forgot the three Jones is three, it says it's three star, but like I said, it's closed. Slim Chickens is three and a half star. That's chicken wings and southern cooking. And of course, like I said, it's three and a half star for the Mexican restaurant, Mexican bar, and seafood. And the Waffle House, which is a four star review, which is like I saw within the subway. Four and a half is hard to mess that up. I'm surprised it's not five. Then El Sombro is another Mexican restaurant with a two and a half star and then midway asian american cuisine within and that's about with like a third of a mile point zero point three miles stop right there but that's a four star so as for the reviews on this place people are not happy with this truck stop and i i can see why i don't like i said the only reason why i stopped there because of the bar next door at the hotel otherwise i'll avoid this place like the plague but the first p person states it's a three-star. He said, place to be, this is a place to spend the night. Stepped in dog shit as soon as I dismounted. Hard to tell, but I think it might be a lizard rock, if you don't know what a lizard rock is. It's lizard shit. <laughs> Evaded the potholes, which there's plenty. So it may be worth it. So, you know, another one is a one-star review. Fleet one card, slow transaction, that's our credit card. Dirty parking lot, customer service, very slow. Waste of time here. I guess he's from the south, waste of time. Don't waste your money, another one-star review. Don't waste your money for at the Waffle House across the street from the warehouse. I don't know what he's trying to say, whorehouse. Can't even, where they can't even cook breakfast, food, cold, wild, worst Waffle House cooks I've ever seen at a Waffle House. My two-year-old can cook better. Maybe he needs to go to have his two-year-old come along with him on the road then. Truck stop is under construction, like I said, but parking, well, that's where it's shut off at. I'm going to do one more review, two more reviews. One is a four-star review. Renovating still, large dirt lot, easy to park. Most drivers are scared of getting dirt on their pretty shoes. We'll complain about the lot being unpaved, smooth, for a dirt lot, which I guess it is, but like trucks park all over the place, so it's kind of hard to find because you had just just park in the middle of nowhere. And here you go, pub and hotel right beside it. <laughs> I'm stopping here from now on instead of primes. And one more one-star review: a junkyard, dirt yard, and still renovating since three years. Like I said, I've been driving for five years, and I go through this area a lot along I-44, which I do drive along I-44, hit 55 up to Chicago, then 55 back, 69 into Dallas. It's a route I've taken many, many times. So while I was there, I have found this interesting case. Now, this in, what, what I've been trying to do is trying to find cases inside the towns where I park at for the night. If I can't, what I'll do is I try to keep a 50-mile radius around it, somewhere nearby it. That makes it interesting. So this one I found, let's see, Alan Nicholson. This, him, well, there's going to be like three people involved in the crime, but 
I'm mainly talking about Alan Nixon. I'll talk about the second one, you know, shortly, but mainly the stories about Alan Nixon. So let's talk about this Alan man. Alan was born on July 25, 1972, in Omaha, Nebraska. A life troubled boy almost from the start in a father's home. His mother was a mentally ill stripper who brought him home, brought home, not him home, brought home an assortment of men. Many of them would probably have had abused him. So probably just a little kid running around, get the fuck out of here. I'm trying to do something with your mama. They even, at one point, making him eat Alpo for food for dinner while watching his mother shoot up heroin on a daily basis. So at one time, she made him fight a Doberman for money. He, he, so this is what he says. He recalled there was the constant torment, eating Alpo, constant torment, like I was saying, from all her boyfriends that came up. So abuse from his mother's male friends. Alan also suffered from bipolar disorder and lived on and off in boys' home for his per, for his petty crimes, probably stealing candy or just stealing food because Alpo isn't, I can imagine, just trying to survive. Also with institute, back to what I was saying, homes. So he, Alan suffered from bipolar disorder and lived on and off in homes for his petty crimes and institutions for his mental illness. Like I said, bipolar. So by the tw- age, by his 20s, Alan was homeless and a drug addict. While in rehab in 1984, he crossed paths with our s- second person I was talking about, which, like I said, I'm going to go a little bit by him, but not too much about his lifestyle because I, I didn't really look up him. Maybe for a future one, but maybe not because we already know the ending of his story. So this guy, Alan Skilcorn, who had been recently released from prison, fallen a second-degree murder conviction for killing a man during a robbery. So Alan and Dennis are for both from Kansas City, Missouri, where they met in a drug rehabilitation center, rehabilitation center program, and once told a friend they had planned to make a name for themselves. So they they're going to do things. So Alan also had served two prison sentences in Missouri for assault once in on his stepfather and once on a law enforcement officer he was paroled from Missouri State Penitentiary after serving 14 years of a 35 year sentence for a 1978 murder of a farmer. A lot of people described Allen as fascinating and truly mentally ill like I was saying and at the age of this this is back to why he was in prison at the age of four he stabbed the man he saw raping his mom who worked as a, like I said, worked as a prostitute and kept it while he was going, you know, if he wasn't getting beat by these men, he, she had put him in closets while she was meeting these Johns. So at age nine, he attacked his stepfather, who pressed charges on Allen, moved from juvenile tar- t- incarceration to regular prison, at, and at his last parole hearing, he begged the board not to let me out. The prison shrank second this, but he was granted parole anyway, and it was soon after that he met Nick, not Nick, but Dennis at the Salvation Army in Kansas City. So let's talk about this individual, Dennis Skillicorn. And like I said, the Skillicorn, that's that's how I got confused on the last one. Like I said, with the, the medicine I was taking, it got confused. I just kind of mixed their names together. 
But Dennis Gillicorn, of course, he was not a good influence on old Alan to begin with. So let's talk about a little bit of history about Dennis. Dennis, uh, With the investigation into the death. So this I'm going to read what the investigation reports about what he, the people that he was involved in. So it states that an investigation and the death of rape victim led to the filing of captain murder charges against two men, one of whom were charged in rape. Their names maybe is James Betts and Ellis Brooks, where they were being held without bond in connection to the death of Sandra Coswell, 40. They are arraigned on the charges Monday. Mrs. Coswell told the police that she was raped on November 9th and later filed police charges of rape and sodomy against Betts and another man, like it's Everett J. Stutfield, 45, where she later vanished November 24th and her body was discovered Friday east of Kansas City in a shallow grave. Family members reported that Ms. Cassell was threatened about testifying against Betts and Slangfield, but these, those allegations, threats were not reported to the police until after she, was after she had disappeared. The family says she had left the bar front with the two men, thinking that they were going to a restaurant. Police said she was dragged into a house where she was raped Steinfeld also charged with tampering with evidence's connection with the Cos Coswell slaying. He is charged with destroying the woman's identification papers and is being was being held for a hundred thousand dollar bond. Betts, Brooks, and our man Dennis J. Skillicorn, 20 at the time, was charged with December 2nd murder of Wendy Howe. And as we go further on the story, you, you find out that Dennis, anytime there's there's this is he, he's in and out of different murder cases this is he there's three connected but I'll get to them later but December with Wendy Howe Wend Wendell not Wendy Wendell Howe male 81 who was found shot to death in his rural Jackson home so as a young man he's hanging out with these two guys and nothing but trouble so into our main story we get back Dennis involved in this so in late not August 1994 our man Dennis and Allen, which we have already talked about. Of course, Dennis being Dennis Gillihorn, Allen Nicholson. And our new person, Tim Graffarid. Graffarid? Graffarid? He's another young person. He was 17 at the time when he met these guys. Well, anyhow, they had gathered up and was heading east from Kansas City, obtained legal drugs. On August 23, 1994, during a return trip back to Kansas City, the 1983 Chevy Caprice, in which they were traveling, broke down 22 miles east of Kingdom City, exit one, exit city on I-70. Not no exit number, but Kingdom City exit on I-70. An uh, officer assisted this. They got offered assistance by a state trooper, which they quickly refused. Of course, with the they have a bunch of drugs on them. They didn't want that guy around. So they, they sat there and kept trying to get the car working. The next day they traveled, they finally got to work going, running. The next day they traveled 17 miles to the JJ overpass where they burglarized the home of Merlin Smith, stole some guns and money, and used the stolen money to pay for a tow to Kingdom City, a garage. A, a garage in King City, Kingdom City was unable to repair the expensive mechanical problems. And so they kind of rigged it up and they drove back towards the side of the robbery where they 
rub that and the car stalled again. So between 4 and 5 p.m. and Richard Drummond, a technical support supervisor from AT&T saw that the Shiner Mortars needed help and offered to take them to uh, use a phone. Which kind of confused me because he said take them to use the phone, but he had a phone in his car because this is when they started using, you know, the cell phones to start coming into work with the big bulky ones, if you remember, if you're old enough to remember that, or in the car, feel like the regular house phone, but it's in the car instead. But he was, so he was driving his company car. So once he asked for help, they said, sure, no problem. So they loaded the bounty from Smith's Burglary into the trunk of Richard's car, while on held a gun to his, you know, he popped the gun out right away. Asked Drummond questions, you know, to calm him down, including whether Richard's old lady was going to miss him as he drove east. Dennis got to thinking, if we let his guy off, he's got his car phone, see? So they disabled the car phone. He stated that he later determined they would have to lose Richard in the woods. At some point during this time, they discussed what they should do with Richard. While both men sat in the back seat and Richard in the front driving, well, Alan said he was going to, um, you know, do something to this guy. I tell you him, you know, and just babbling, blah, blah, blah. He was just trying not to get the guy to panicking about what, what's about to happen. Try to keep him calm about the whole situation. So they directed Richard to drive to I-70 on Highway T, the Highway T exit. They proceeded four miles on County Road 202 to a secluded area where they ordered him to stop his vehicle. As Alan prepared to take him through a field toward, field toward a wooden area, Dennis demanded Richard's wallet. Knowing Alan had no rope or other means to which restrain him, they carry, but he knew that he carried a 22 caliber pistol. So Dennis watched him as he led Richard towards a wooden area. There, Alan shot Drummond Richard twice in the head and Dennis acknowledged hearing two shots from the woods and then he returned having already done what he had to do. So with that being said, they continued west on I-70 in Richard's car. They stopped at a friend's house named Joe Snell in Blue Springs where Kelly McEntee, who had dated um, Tim, came to his house looking for Tim. She knocked on the door where Alan answered then came outside and said, don't nobody touch the car. Referring to Richard's car, which he went in the trunk of the Intrepid and removed a shotgun to assist him in assuring those watching that he did not want him to touch the car. He put the shotgun into Kelly's head and announced that he would kill her. He, But of course he didn't kill her. Apparently satisfied what he made his point after he hit her with the in the face with it which I don't know what Tim was doing, just allowing this man hitting I guess he was just scared because these guys were kind of big, intimidating, older, and like I said, he was 17. So I guess he was just afraid. So sometime later, they did leave his house and went to another friend's house, Annie White's house, where Alan told him that he had killed somebody in the woods and this just described the murder after planning a secession. So after they left there, they went to a local restaurant where Alan and Dennis decided, they decided to go to Arizona, where Tim stayed behind, and that's where he stays back there. So they dropped Tim off at Blue, back at the house at Blue Springs, Missouri, and then they fled the state. 
three days after Richard's murder, the car they stole from him became stuck in the sand near Kingdon, Arizona. The two men approached the house of Joseph Babcock, 47, and Charlene Babcock, 38. As in the case of Richard Drummond's murder, Mr. and Mrs. Babcock offered assistance to help, you know, them just, you know, like a Joseph. So Joseph, ba Joseph left with them and attempted unsuccessfully to pull the car out of the sand where Allen turned around and shot and killed him, just like Richard, and then returned to Babcock's home to in, in his truck where they also killed Charlene because they didn't want to leave no witnesses in familiar, familiar fashion as they both died the same way. Afterwards, they drove across to California, stealing a purse from a woman in a supermarket and committed armed robbery along the way everywhere they can. So they're just a string of robberies, you know, to finance their Yahoo experience, I guess, just going from Missouri to Arizona to California, where they end up in Mexico. Crossing the border, this is when crossing the border was a lot more easier than it is now. So they go to a restaurant where Dennis pulled his gun out. Keep in mind what Dennis is doing through this whole thing, because later on, he tries to make himself like an angel. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I just keep thinking about that when I hear Dennis doing all these things. And then you'll see where he tried. I'm a good guy. I'm sorry. But as when at the restaurant in Mexico where Dennis pulled his handgun on a woman operating a diner where the two men were eating. Unfortunately, the woman did not understand. His he's, she speaks Spanish, of course. And he was the man for money. And she did not understand his demands. Where then he then shot and killed her. Shot the woman right there. So, running out of money down there, eventually returning to the United States, both men were arrested in San Diego after police picked them up while hitchhiking. Following his arrest in San Diego, they found out because of the, they found the car in Arizona, and they found the fingerprints and everything like that, then they brought back to Tim, which quickly, you know, uh, confessed everything, brought him to Richard Drummond's, he didn't, Tim did not know about the other ones, he just knew about Richard Drummond. So he went and confessed about that. People said, hey, yeah, oh yeah, Alan said he killed him. Alan did this, Alan did this. He had this car, no problem. You know, so they actually had pulled him over one time for hitchhiking and let him go because they didn't have this information. Once they got this information from Missouri on the second time, that's when they got him. And as soon as they got him, Alan gave a complete confession to the FBI. He admitted that he marched Richard Drummond into the woods at gunpoint, he alleged in this statement that he had a rope in his pocket to tie him up with, but it snapped. And instead of decided to shoot him, of course he shot him instead in somewhat of an impulsive whine. Also described Arizona's murders. He talked about Arizona's murders, numerous robberies the two had committed while on the lam. And now he had killed his own abusive father at age nine. Dennis also was involved. Now, here's another one I was telling you about where good old boy Dennis was also involved in murder of Paul J. Hines outside of a truck stop in Elko, Nevada. Excuse me. was also discussed with the police. So these guys are no good. You know, well, I don't know so much about Allen because of his upbringing, but Dennis, you know, but he had killed a truck driver. And I think I've been at that truck stop in Elko. There's just a small truck stop that's right downtown Elko. It's pretty decent. I've been there once. It's been a while ago. But they also discussed, the, you know, the murder of the woman in Mexico. Of course, being another country, they can't really do nothing. But all this 
these cases was did not result in charges. They were just looking at the Richard Drummond case that happened in Missouri, and that was their loaded gun they were after. So additionally was brought up with murder. So additionally was brought up was charges murder in 1980 where he was convicted of a second degree murder of the death of, like I said, with Dennis with the 1980 charge with Wendell House where he served 13 years for. So they're looking at that. They're looking at all of these circumstances and murders and crimes, stuff like that. So so they both were, well, actually, let's go back to Tim, where what he did. I couldn't really find much on him. What I did find was his Facebook page. And on his Facebook page, it don't really say much because I, I guess I have to friend. There were no really more pictures private, but he has a lot of pictures of him standing with a lot of weed. He loves his weed. He, you know, guard, which is nothing wrong. I mean, if, if I was in truck stop, then, you know, truck driver, I, I think I would like a, you know, smoke a little bit, but I can't. Maybe eventually I could. But he, with his um, testimony, stuff like that, he got a second degree murder case. Where he is actually released now on that he'll my mind went blank where he'll testify against oh Allen and Dennis so here's the timeline I broke this down like a little timeline so in 1994 Allen and his Dennis killed Richard Drummond by shooting him twice in the head October 5th they are arrested by officers from San Diego Police Department which I discussed for hitchhiking Allen is charged by information for on first-degree murder so 19 finally on April 22nd 1996 jury trial begins May 2nd jury returns verdict of guilty of murder in the first degree May 4th jury returns death sentence as punishable punishment for first-degree murder the, and of course Lafayette County you know sends Nichols to death for a murder conviction Nicholson files an appeal, but before I even get any further, this Nicholson actually Allen actually tried to do a plea agreement with him, where he you try to get a lesser of second degree murder like that. But with his history and the severity of the crimes, and everything the prosecution denied it. And if you listen to the first one, the Dixie Chicks are still around and they're still popping up and they're saying, nah, this guy's got to die. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it, but you get the point. They were not accepting no pleas. They wanted him to die. And so in 1998, this Missouri Supreme Court affirms Nicholson's conviction and sentence. June 22nd, Nicholson files a Rule 29.15 motion for post-conviction release. And then November 30th, the United States Supreme Court denies them. Say, nope, be gone with you. Off to the death sentence. So the 2002 we're at right now. April 15th denies his post-conviction relief. 2003, the Missouri Court affirms denial of relief. Be gone with you still. Had enough of you. 2004, September 30th, Nicholson filed petition for rights of habeas corpus in the United States District Court of the Western District of Missouri. Which in 2005, April 26, they also deny it. You know, the right of habeas corpus. No, no, be gone. The court appeals affirms the now habeas corpus in 2007, 2008. April 20, United, United States Supreme Court denies Certervia review. So that is it from a man, Alan Nicholson. That is it. So let's talk about it. Appeals Court panel had granted a state, well, 
that he's still going through all his appeals and everything. So, appeals court panel had granted a stay of execution for Nicholson on Allen on Monday, citing concerns that his counsel at trial of sentence in 1996 that the stay was taken up to U.S. Supreme Court, which did not return for five to four decisions to vacate, was still until late till Wednesday night. Governor Jay Nixon refused grant clemency, so nope. Nicholson was executed nearly 23 hours after original scheduled to death. So, I mean, they were looking at it, but it was just 23 later. So, on December 11th, 2013, so that's six, seven, eight, nine years, that's because 94, no, I'm, I'm, my math is all wrong. 94, four, so almost 20, it's been a while. Executed by a lethal ejection in Missouri on December 11th, 2013. And his last meal, if anybody was curious about it was, his last meal, he was meat pizza, orange juice, gummy bears, and M&Ms. And it's funny, he says gummy bears. I was at my last job I was on, or when I was in delivering in Mississippi, they had over 80 cases of gummy. I'm now have a proud owner of 40 cases of gummy bears, which I need to find a home for. But I can't throw nothing away. So there's still, I had 80. I gave away 40. I still have 40. So many gummy worms. So he refused last words and only pray, prayed with the preacher. So there you have it. Missouri executed Allen on Wednesday night for killing a good Samaritan who stopped to help him and his friends after their car had stalled on Interstate 70 uh, in 1994. It was the state's second e execution in three weeks. So 41, he was 41, was pronounced dead at 10.52 p.m. on Wednesday, eight minutes after the process began. It said his eyes had remained closed throughout the hole. He showed little reaction to drugs only briefly heavenly breathing heavenly for about two minutes into the process he offered no final words like i said he was just quiet no remorse no nothing that tells me missouri department of public safety spokesman mike o'connell said nicholson pray briefly with the pr prison i know i'm repeating all this stuff for about 20 minutes before the execution so before this, Missouri previously used a three-drug method, which a lot of states have used, but changed protocols after drug makers stopped selling the lethal drug to the prisoners, prisons, and corrections departments. The and I'm gonna have a trouble saying this. The pentobutal, pentobutal used is the type of you know the, what they're using now. Used in Missouri, the execution came from an undisclosed company and pharmacy so the Missouri Department of Correction declines to say who makes it they, they're not saying who made it I guess the company don't want nobody to know that they're supplying because there is a lot of anti execution people out there they want to be connected to that but they want you know money talks bullshit walks so racist serial killer Joseph killer Joseph Paul Franklin was was the last person Missouri not performed execution in nearly three years so, after the you know press afterwards, Richard Drummond's act of kindness and stopping to help these opponents of a broken car on interstate was repaid by actual brutality, of course. But let's not get into that. Let's let's which which I've already talked to you a lot about for taking the life of a good Samaritan, both Al Nicholson and Dennis Gillicorn. Remember him was sentenced to die. 
Michelle and get into that. So both got the death sentence by Missouri juries. This decisions that were upheld by the court tonight. That was the second person, the second of these punishments. Let me read this over again. So this was what afterwards, after O'Allen had pronounced that, it came out to talk to people that was outside. They said Richard Drummond's act of kindness in stopping to help the occupants of a broken car on Interstate 70 in 1994 was paid with an act of brutal and callous violence for taking the life of the, this good Samaritan, both Alan Nicholson and Dennis Gillihorn, which had already been previously executed, but I'll get to that, was sentenced to die by Missouri juries, decisions that was upheld by the courts. Tonight, the second of the punishments was carried out with the execution of Alan Nicholson. I ask that the Missourians remember Richard Drummond at this time and keep his family in thoughts and prayers. So, Let's talk about, like I said, this is more about Alan Nicholson, but my man's, not my man, but <laughs> Dennis Gillicorn. So, while he, let's, let's talk about his little stint in prison. For a while in prison, Dennis married Paula Barr, a reporter from the Kansas City Star who cover, covered his trial as a crime reporter. She no longer works for the Star. They were married in 1997 at the Pasquale Patasio Prison, where Dennis was housed until they moved to Bonterre for execution. Which, if you're a small town murder listener, you will know that Bonterre, Missouri is one of the towns they covered. So, if you're listening to this, you should be listening to that. Either or. So, attorneys for Dennis kept up with the legal battle until they, the very end, the state Supreme Court turned aside a half a dozen appeals for stays of execution in the final day, the last one shortly before midnight. The delay execute the delay that delayed the execution for about a half an hour, thirty minutes, where Governor Nixon denied clemency requests earlier in the evening after receiving a final briefing from the council. He said, After careful deliberation I have denied this petition, Nixon said in a written statement, after more than a decade of legal challenges, both the conviction and the death sentence of Dennis Gilcorn have held up under excessive judicial review by the state and federal courts. Nixon noted in a statement that the two murders which Dennis Gilcorn Dennis had convicted in Missouri are not only murder convictions, he also received life sentence after pleading guilty in the murdering. So they got him for that too, the murdering of the Arizona couple in 94. So if something happens with the the propopacol, oh, I'm going to say that's wrong, but that's usually going He's still going to go to jail for life a few days after Drummond's murder. These factors were also taken consideration in the clemency process and played a significant role in the decision, Nixon said. So Dennis, let's talk about when he was, Dennis Gilcorn was executed, executed May 20th, 2009, see, long before our boy Allen, with an apology of, with faith. And here's where this asshole really starts spewing it out. In his final statements, Gillicorn said that he had lived every day the last 15 years with remorse for his murder of Richard Drummond, who had stopped to offer a ride to him and the two others in the, when the car broke down. He lost his appeal to the state Supreme, so 
that's what he said he lost his appeal to the state supreme court just moments before he was taken to the death chamber he was pronounced dead at 12:34 that morning oh skillicorn was implicated in five murders but he said his last statement that god a good woman and god and a good woman had changed his life that his statement was of course his statement was read by the correctional department he did not say that himself but he did say the sorrow despair and regrets of my life would most certainly have consumed me if not for the grace and mercy of a living and living god so he found religion while he was in jail he wrote in a final statement wrote by the part he didn't read none of this he just the reporters wrote this as a husband i've been overjoyed to know the love of woman unlike i've ever known how about richard i think he would like to love his wife the same way i guess well anyhow his final meal let's let's talk about his final meal he goes consistently absent from st louis post-dispatch account death skillhorn's execution by lethal injection was the killer choice of his meal of course he gets to choose his meal the daily rft was learned that skillhorn dined alone in the cell devouring a double bacon cheeseburger and potatoes was delivered by crossroads restaurants and lounge near monterey prison where skillhorn met his maker at 12:30 this morning the 49 year old murderer did not have anything for dessert vicky green a cook at the crossroads said her restaurant has been selected by several times by prison officials who ordered up last suppers for its doom inmates i think it's because we got the best food in the county said green i could picture her saying that in a hillbilly you know it's like a southern we got the best food around we are honored to have this place to choose from but which kind of baffles me i always thought that when they did order i watched different shows about this i thought that what who made the food they didn't order out for them but whatever could was they cooked it right there at the chow hall but i guess i was wrong over here but his final words was the sorrow this guy's really just laying it thick like he is an innocent angel but like i said he was involved in the murder of oh richard and he the two people you know the babcocks in arizona the woman in mexico and also the truck driver so this guy is far from innocent so this and i liked like um alan he also tried to you know do plea agreements but nope dixie chicks were back around said nope you must die be gone with you da 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 goodbye i'm sorry yeah you know you might want to get some tissue now because i believe your ears are bleeding from my horrible singing so his final words was the, the sorrow and despair and regrets of my life would most certainly have consumed me if not for the grace and mercy of a living god who saved me like i said skillhorn wrote a lengthy final statement read to reporters by the department of correction spokesman jacqueline lapine as a when it's already read all this stuff right here so while this was all going on so they're both dead everything like that but while the trial was going on dennis decided you know before let me find this right here so while while Dennis's trial was going on, Alan decided he wanted to write a little letter on Alan's, you know, on, on Alan's behalf. Alan wanted to write a letter for Dennis's behalf. 
So on the last, I mean, when I first read this, I didn't, I just, just kind of skimmed through it, but I think I'm going to read it this time. And it says, affidavit of Alan Nicholson regarding the crime. He's, I'm writing this affidavit on behalf of co-defendant Dennis Gillicorn. I have maintained from the day of my arrest, October 5th, 1994, that Dennis had absolutely no acknowledgement that I would murder Mr. German. I told Lieutenant Lind and FBI agent Arthur McDummer that several times during his interview in San Diego, Lieutenant Lind actually wrote it down as part of his interview. There was no cameras or tapes of the interview. They wrote down my statement and not allowed me to read it nor correct any mistakes, just simply signed it. I, I wrote to Dennis to say that I would be more than willing to come and testify at his trial. I would have testified in the fact that Dennis had no acknowledgement that I was going to murder Mr. Drummond. The judge at Dennis' trial wouldn't let me well, let my statement in because he said that I was unreliable, which will never make sense to me because Prosecutor Bellamy used that same statement in my trial. Prosecutor Bellamy lied at, at Dennis's trial to secure conviction, which thus resulted in a death penalty. I wanted to testify at Dennis's guilt court trial, and I still do. At Dennis's trial, Bellamy made it look like Dennis was the leader, and at my trial, he made it seem like I was. So. Which is it? My attorneys would not let me testify because they said it was too mentally unstable and violent. Looking back, I cannot blame them. I was extremely violent and self-destructive until I was placed on medication. I was even allowed to testify in my own. I was not even allowed to testify in my own trial because of this. We should tell you how serious it was. I wanted to testify at Dennis's trial and still do. It keeps saying that. I would be very upset if Dennis was executed. Dennis did absolutely nothing at, I'm going to intervene right there. He did absolutely nothing during Richard Drummond's case, but that does not make him an innocent person because he was involved in so many other ones. So I'll carry on. He was about a half a mile away when, from what happened. Initially, my plan was to go to St. Louis, get about three ounces of meth front and fronted, sell the product so we could be offered, so we could afford to get apartment with a couple of months in advance and then fleed to find secure jobs. But on the way to St. Louis, the car broke down, the radiator hose clamp broke off while I was trying to repair the car. I had to listen to Tim whine about everything. Of course, because he was 17. I guess it was his dad's car. He didn't tell his dad he was going to take it, which really pissed me off. I ended up pushing the car for about at least a mile, at least a mile. We came to an up-ramp where I was trying to push the car on up-ramp by myself because Dennis and Tim were too weak to help. The next day, while I was again trying to repair the car, a station wagon offered to help. I was so angry that I extremely and got extremely aggressive with the guy, and he drove off. Dennis flagged down another car. I got into the back seat, and I felt the outline of my holster in my small my back. I had forgotten it was there. I had a moment and I actually thought this guy was out to get me. It sort of dawned on me and I realized I got to get this guy before he gets me. Which tells me, that sounds like the telltale sounds of that he was doing meth. He wasn't trying to just sell it. He was actually doing it because the paranoia, the only thing about meth, it really sets in big paranoia. 
So in prison, everyone is your enemy until proven otherwise. I pulled my weapon out and put it in Mr. Drummond's head. Dennis panicked and said, hey man, what are you doing? I told Dennis, shut your mouth. Drummond, who was sitting in the front seat, looked at me in the rearview mirror and tried to calm me down. I told him to rip out the cell phone and throw it out the window. I told him about the tracking device in it and that they could use it to find us. Dennis wasn't aware of that. I don't recall Dennis saying two words Drummond. I told Drummond to pull over and get out. I had every intention to try to set him free. I told Dennis and Tim to stay in the car. Dennis tried to keep me calm. I told him that I was going to tie him up and page two and not to worry about it. I told them they would give us time to get back to Blue Springs. Drummond could call the cops. Dennis would have no reason to doubt him. In reality, I was going to take Dennis back to the Salvation Army. I walked Drummond into the field alone, away from Dennis. I allowed Drummond to get ahead of me three times. He turned and waited each time. You know, if someone gave me the chances, I would escape or defend myself. I was angry at myself long before I met Drummond. I was questioning myself, why couldn't I have a nice car, home, you know, job, wife, etc., blah, blah, blah. I worked 24, I worked 24 hours sometimes and wanted to know why I worked so hard for nothing. I was very upset with Drummond for being weak, and I was upset with myself for forgetting the rope, which he did say he forgot the rope, but he had string in his pocket that broke. So he, you know, conflicted testimonies. So I took my pent-up anger out of him, a lifetime anger. When I got back to the car, Dennis asked me if I tied him up. I said, no, I shot him. The whole situation escalated. Truth be told, I escalated without medication. Dennis was aware of any of this. He did not know I needed medication. Dennis was scared to death that if he didn't go along, I would kill him and the time I just might have, at the time he just might have. Dennis is the least intimidating person in the history of prison. He smiles too much. I'm not sure why we ever hung out. We both got high. We, we acted very differently from one another and we did. He got happier when he got high and drunk and I got violent over the norm. He'd say, you, you don't, let me, let me pause for a second. I think I'm getting ahead of myself on this letter. He said, you don't, you, you don't got to get so violent. I guess it's the hill, but you don't got to get so violent. I'm trying to say it's messing me up. I ended up dragging him in anyway. Dennis stayed with me out of fear of what I'll do if he left. I threatened him on several occasions. I even pointed a gun at him once. Sometimes I wish I had shot Dennis so he wouldn't have to go through this. So Dennis is not a violent man. I'm almost done with this letter. In any regard, it says me that he got caught up with a mess. It is, wasn't Dennis. I honestly believe that more people would have been harmed. Just because he was present doesn't mean he did anything or willingly partake in what I did. It doesn't mean that he should get the death penalty. I have owned up to all since the beginning. Dennis got caught up with me because of prison mentality, and he got caught up with my quest for revenge and suicide. Oh, my God. Well, that was the question. So he's trying to make this guy, keep in mind, this letter is just talking about this situation of Richard Drummond. We, how about all the other cases, all the, the truck driver in Oklahoma, Nevada? How about them two people in, you know? Anytime he could have left 
or keep in mind if you remember right he was actually the one who killed the girl in Mexico so there you have it there's the the correct story hopefully a lot clearer than the last one my wife Desra told me that the last episode this note probably just kind of got kind of confusing but he was trying to you know say that it wasn't him but with the past history of them they said it, it probably fell on deaf ears but there you go there's the story of alan nicholson and my stay at the jones truck stop in lebanon missouri on i-44 and let's see exit 127 which i say is about right now but like i said with all this coronavirus going on it is closed so if you like that story I got a good idea what you can do for me. You could go to Apple Podcasts, leave, give me five stars, would be awesome. Leave a review, rate review. You can say anything. Just say this guy's a worse mushmouth than Dan Cummings, which is probably true. And rate and listen to me. Well, actually, any podcast, anywhere you listen to, whatever you listen to. But the Apple Podcast, that's what really counts. So if you like that, you can also follow me on social media at Truck Stop Murder on Facebook, Instagram. And now I got a Twitter page. And I do not have a Patreon set up or anything like that. So eventually, hopefully pretty soon, once I get more listeners, I do plan on setting something like that up. But if you want to email me, you can email me at my gmail at garyhower290 at gmail.com and like i said with the social media and all that stuff like that and as always i want to thank my lovely and sexy wife desra glover for inspiring me to do this and if you like that like i said and i always said you can't fix stupid but you could sure numb it with a two by four sergeant awesome